listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. G'day coaches. Well, it's out. Evolve Rugby, an online coach development course based on 100 plus interviews from this very podcast. Are you a club coach looking to continually develop? Do you want to increase numbers to training, be more adaptable, be able to coach to a variety of skill levels and save time? Then check out the link in the show notes for a sneak peek of the Evolve Rugby online coach development course. Also, sign up to the newsletter so you can receive the latest offers. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions, but for now, kick back and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome to episode 109 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Jason Gilmore. Jason is the head coach of Australia A and assistant coach at the Waratahs. From 2017 to 2020, Jason was coaching with the Australian U20 team, and in 2019, led a great group of players to the final against France. He'll lead the Waratahs' defence in the upcoming Super Rugby season, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Jason. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no worries. Great to have you on. And um, yeah, what's, uh, we were just chatting off air there about uh, growing up on the Gold Coast, and uh, what, what, were your, what were your first experiences as a player uh, playing rugby and uh, up in the Gold Coast? Uh, it was all league back then because we didn't yeah. actually have any rugby clubs. So, <laughs> um, mate, grew up playing uh, at Runaway Bay Rugby League Club and um, played that probably six, seven years um, and didn't hit rugby until I actually went to high school. Right. Um, yeah, so more of a leaguey kind of background and, and interest and, yeah, kind of got – rugby kind of got forced upon me a little bit, went to a rugby-only school in Brisbane and mm. – probably struggled with it for a couple of years and um, wanted to turf it in and uh, mum kind of kept pushing me to, to keep playing rugby and eventually the game started to click a little bit more and um, kind of lit the fire probably about third year into playing it at high school. Yeah, right. Awesome. And that would have been right, like when you were playing league, that would have been right around when the Broncos uh, first started up, right, with, with Wally Lewis yeah, and yeah. some of the giants of the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, had, had the Broncos and... Growing up on the coast, we had the Gold Coast Giants come in as well in 88. Yeah. So um, we kind of had our own NRL team back then as well. But, um, yeah, back then the Gold Coast was predominantly rugby league with a bit of AFL, but but no yeah. rugby to speak of. So it's changed a bit since then. Yeah, for the better, we'd uh, we'd argue. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> what, what about some of those, you know, first coaches, whether it be rugby or rugby league, um, that really had an impact on you that you can remember? And, and what were some of the things that they did that, that, you know, made 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 the game feel special to you? Yeah, probably um, probably the first coach that really had an impact on me was a guy called uh, David Swanick um, when I was at Churchy. And I was really struggling with rugby. He, he catched mm. me in my second year at Churchy. And back then, leagueies, like I played a bit of rep league and all that type of stuff. And mm. back then, if you're a league, you just kind of got banished to the back of the pile and, um, you kind of had to learn your own way on on how to transition across. I, I was really struggling. Um, I knew I could play, but I just couldn't get a break and was, was in the lower teams. And Dave was a prefect at the school at the time. Mm. Um, and 
the best thing about Swanee was um, he just set a, a real strong standard for us, even though we're in the lower teams. Mm. Um, just his expectation around how he trained us and, and how he played. He, he, he didn't treat us like a bottom team. He treated us like a top team. And, oh, that's awesome. And we just loved it because all of a sudden we had a coach that cared for us at that level. Mm. Um, he set really good standards and he didn't want to let him down. Um, and I reckon if it wasn't for him in that year, I probably would have definitely quit rugby and, and gone back to league. Um, tactically, he, he was sound. I wouldn't say Swanee was a great coach tactically, but mm. um, just, just the standards that he set for us and, and how much he cared for us was um, a really big thing. And I became really good mates with him post-school and, and worked with him in the boarding house at the same school when I was going through university. So we became really good friends off that. So it was probably the first coach, I reckon, that really had an impact on me. Yeah. Um, leaving school, I went to East Rugby Union and my Colts coach there was a guy called Gary Jessamon. Um, and, and same thing as Swanee, he just had a genuine care and, and again, believed in you, like you felt 10 foot tall because you had Gary in your corner and um, he'd always challenge you, but um, he generally wanted the boys to do well. Um, but a little bit different to Swanee, he... He tactically was a really left field type of thinker. Like he wasn't bound by tradition and what's always done is what we do. Nice. Like he really challenged playing positions and styles of play and that type of stuff. And he really opened up my eyes to playing outside of the norm a little bit and mm. just kind of expanding your horizons, I suppose, on the game and your thinking on the game. He was the first one that really brought that to my attention. Um, and then bring it together when I went from Colts into seniors, I got coached by a guy called Johnny Bremner, who was just a great educator. He was um, a teacher at one of the colleges in Brisbane. Just so good at getting his message across, but he was a genuine ahead of his time with his thinking on the game. Um, so I reckon he was a combination between probably Dave and, and Gary, but I think between those three in my rugby career early, really, I don't know. I look back now, it's funny with that question, in my own coaching, what I kind of value. And, it, mm. you know, that, that was probably the bedrock of how I first saw coaching being done across those three guys, all different in their own way, but um, had a super impact on me um, from a young age. Yeah, and that's, that's a pretty awesome springboard for you going into coaching as well, that that's, that's the role models that you've had. And, you know, that comes up all the time, just like not really the tactical stuff, but the care and the, the, the genuine kind of, inclination to want you to do well as a player so so if you can you know yeah. do that as a coach yourself that's awesome yeah no i was probably lucky at ace um as i kept flying through the grades there look i had adrian thompson who's now with rugby australia tom i coached the yeah. with the reds and he coached australia a he is a real mentor for me um with my coaching still to this day tony mcgann um, who mm-hmm. i played with and then he turned around and coached us um at ace I dumped one Heineken Cup with Munster and yeah, see he yeah. coached the Rebels and was with the Wallabies and all that type of thing. And they're, they're still guys to this day that um, I'll, I'll keep in contact with with my own coaching. So it's funny how kind of coming out of these, um, predominantly my coaches there are the ones that, you know, they've coached themselves, obviously, but mm. um, guys that, are, you know, still kind of guide me now. Yeah. And what what were those first experiences like when you, when you decided that, you know, coaching might be something you you're going to explore. What what, what were some of the things that you you fell in love with, and what were some of the things that are a bit maybe cringeworthy uh, looking back on it? Yeah, there's a couple <laughs> of them. Yeah, for um, sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I just loved. I love getting people better. I love mm. seeing them satisfied with where they were going to. 
Um, I, I loved coaching players that thought they couldn't do something. Can you put yeah. a bit of belief and care and a bit of guidance into them and then they can achieve it? And, and just their self-worth and self-confidence goes through the roof. And, um, you know, I studied phys ed teaching at uni. Um, I had a brother that's a little bit younger than me, so I always bounced around his cricket teams and rugby teams and helped out when I was a young bloke. Mm. Um, and I just loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved bringing a team together for a common goal, getting individuals better. Um, so I got that from a really young age, and I think that's probably where the physical education aspect or, or want came into it. And then when I went through university, I actually worked as a boarding tutor um, at my high school in Brisbane at Churchy there, and a part of that, you had to actually coach some, some teams. So mm. I got thrown in the deep end. I think I had the 14G cricket team. And, there we go. You know, 20 overs, you were lucky to get one ball end on the pitch. And <laughs> um, I coached the third 15 rugby team, so you filled that full of boarders, and um, you just had a great time with it. So I just loved everything about it. Um, and then playing-wise, um, you know, I went through the grades at East there, but wasn't good enough um, to make the next step. And um, I suppose coaching really started to take over post-university. I became a development officer at Queensland Rugby and kind of made my way through the coach ed system and into mm -hmm. high performance there. But, um, yeah, I, I think the big driver that gets me out of bed and wanting to get on the pitch is um, just just helping young blokes achieve their goals and, and, and seeing um, their satisfaction when they actually get it is a big driver yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a phys ed teacher as well and, you're talking about uh, the 14 Gs at Churchy. I'm uh, I teach uh, Canadian college kids how to play cricket, so uh, I I understand the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the getting a good line and length is uh, a rarity. <laughs> yeah, yeah mate, but it's I, a good laugh. We had to put the, mate, we had to put the stumps in, but they weren't any chance of getting knocked over. So I reckon we got left behind. Uh, awesome, awesome. And what about that? You touched a little bit on the kind of pathway in the in the high performance. What what did that look like in more detail to 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 find you in the the Australian U twenty role? What were kind of some of the big big jumps and big big uh, steps that you took there, and some maybe some of the big learnings out of that process? Yeah, oh, pr probably the biggest one was patience. Like I, I don't come from a. Mm. 100 Wallaby test career or points and reds or anything like that. So mm. uh, I always had to really earn um, the steps that I achieved in coaching. Um, so I, I had to learn patience from a really early age with my coaching that, you know, I just made sure that I had to tick the boxes. But I was no different to a player. So, yeah, coached bottom age school teams when I was a boarding tutor. Um, when I became a development officer, I just started to get into the um, junior club representative teams, mm. um, moved into uh, looking after the, the Reds Academy with the juniors. So through that, you start doing the Queensland under-16s and schoolboys level, yeah. ticking the boxes there, getting exposure with Queensland 19s and, and Queensland A. But um, once I finished playing, actually captain coach reserve grade in my last year, and then I jumped in at the same club and took over as head coach of the Colts program there with the under 19s. And right. that gave me a really that gave me a really good grounding. Like to coach a bunch of blokes for 20 rounds mm. September through to September with no resources, managing yeah. staff that are voluntary. Mate, that's where you really cut your teeth as a coach. Agreed. Um, um, and then from Colts, uh, it was actually Dan McKellar, who's a Wallabies Forbes coach. He was coaching at South. And, 
he gave me a call to come across and coach with him. So I did first grade at South Rugby um, in Brisbane as well. So I kind of stepped through the, the school and the club pathway. Um, and then I got the tap on the shoulder to head up the Reds Academy program where I head coached um, Queensland Country and the NRC as well. So then you're starting to, you know, get towards the pointy end and... Mm. Uh, we, we had some good success with the Reds under twenties. We won the won the Super program there, and um, then an opportunity came up to coach Super Rugby with the Reds, um, which I did. And then the next step was doing the Junior Wallabies. So, you know, it's probably a little bit boring, but you know, started junior clubs, schoolboy level, mm. moving into Colts football into first grade, stepping into the Reds Academy, and then up into Super Rugby. So. I suppose my trajectory was steady, but, um, you know, I had to jump up on every step. I couldn't skip steps. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So that that's where that patience and resilience with my coaching and just sticking to the task was really important. Oh yeah, and I think I think also like longevity wise, it'll it'll help in that regards too, because you you often see those ex professional players getting, you know, dropped into the club that they were once playing for and. Sometimes I'll last a couple of years and and then move on. And I think, yeah, like battling away with a Colts team for a for a calendar year, it's 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 tough graft and um you can't you can't read that in a book or at a conference. Uh, experiential learning is really important in that part. Yeah, completely agree. And I think if you look at um a guy like Benny Moen, who captained the Wallabies, I played with Benny at East and mm-hmm. know him really well. Um, you know, he's wanting to forge ahead with his coaching, but the best thing Benny's done is he's head coaching his first grade for a couple of years. And, yeah. you know, Benny's got all the experience, you know, he's been in the fire, he knows the environment, he knows footy back to front, but, you know, just planning a season and looking mm-hmm. after resources and recruiting staff and keeping players motivated, they're all the little things that, um, you know, you, you don't have too much experience in until you actually get into the seat. So, yeah, club footy for me was huge, absolutely huge in my development. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. All right, well, yeah, I ended up getting you into the uh, Aussie U20s uh, setup. What what was that experience like? And, you know, especially that 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 2019 group, they were they were um, really fun to watch. Um, I think you took them, uh, you'd talk about building a team, you, you took them to the Snowy Mountains uh, beforehand, before the tournament in Argentina and, and things like that. What, so what was that like kind of four-year stint like uh, heading up the U20s? Yeah, it was probably the opposite to club footy. Like actually then you probably went from minimal resources to what, not whatever you wanted, but you had mm. really good resources to build the program that you wanted. Um, yeah. In terms of the program itself, it was unreal like it was a real step up you, you had to you know obviously get to a world cup and because it was a national team there was expectation on performance and mm-hmm. uh, obviously how you operated a bigger staff group you kind of went from a staff group of four or five at club footy to you know 13 or 14 staff underneath you mm. um, short-term program like you didn't have the luxury of a three-month pre-season you're in and out of camps really quickly so in terms of the accuracy of what you coached in those camps was was important um yeah so the experience itself was a real step up um probably the, the thing that i learned hence the snowy mountains was um i'd been in and around the 20s a little bit i was an assistant coach in 2010 when we made the final under dave nusifora oh yeah yeah I was assistant coach in 2016 under Tomo, and then I took over in 2018. Um, 
And it was always the trick, like because you had smaller time, you thought you had to jam a lot of footy in there and make sure that you got your footy content done. Mm. Uh, and I don't reckon we gave the boys the best experience with it. And that's where we turned around in 2019 and we're like, we're just, we're not hitting the mark, we're close, but we're just not quite getting these boys ready for a World Cup. And mm. we had a look at the connection of the players was the biggest thing that we looked at, both on and off the field in terms of combination, but also getting to know each other. So the Snowy Mountains one came around because we'd always trained at the OAS and we actually wanted to get away and not talk footy and, and not take a football with us. So we actually chewed up about three or four days out of the camp, not doing football. Mm. And I reckon in hindsight, it's the best thing that we ever did. Awesome. So we teamed up with a guy called Matty Trippett who runs a fly program and it's all around men's mental health. Right. Um, and we designed, designed a program, not that it was going to be school campish, I was really worried it was going to be cliched and... Mm just activities that the boys would just look at and go, you know, it's, it's a bit bullshit. I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. But mm. he ran an excellent, he facilitated an excellent camp. You know, we we climbed through rivers and we'd stop off every now and again and get to know each other. And, you know, it's quite confronting. You're actually standing with a bloke you've never known and you're talking about what's your <laughs> philosophy, awesome. like what are your values as a bloke? And even mm. for me as an older guy, like, you kind of know your values, but to actually express it to a stranger, mm. you know, it made you pretty vulnerable. So just little things like that brought us closer. And right. we did a heap of team team bonding experience in and around it. We took Stephen Larkham and a few of the older boys with us. So we had some mm. footy legends just to sit around the campfire and you know just talk footy and have a drink together and mm. just get to know each other. So it really relaxed the group, but we I reckon it really propelled us with the boys getting to know each other and, mm. and what we actually valued as a group. Um, so I reckon previously I've probably always done that team culture stuff where you're sitting down in the classroom and what are your value and what are your three mm. trademarks? Completely gone away from that, I think, until you've actually spent time together and you know how guys react under pressure or out on the drink or, you know, what they're like off the field or how they prepare. It, it's hard to actually manufacture your trademarks until you actually get to know each other first. And then the actions dictate what your trademarks are. So we, we kind of flipped how we did our cultural piece in that 2019 period um, and just build our game model as well. I reckon we got a lot craftier and a lot more accurate with our game model in 2019 than previous years um, in terms of how we prepared the boys and where we put value on it. Um, so when we put all of that together in 2019, we had a good group of guys, don't get me wrong, but mm. I thought how we put the program together was probably the best that I've been involved in. Right, yeah, and the, you know that probably leads me to that next question and um, around the game model. As a as a fan watching, I, I noticed a real big change uh, in terms of, and this is something I'd love to see more of in Aussie rugby, is just a real, real concerted effort to keep the ball alive uh, to get behind the defender and to look to offload first rather than a breakdown. Um, and that, that really, that really jumped out at me with that U20 team. What, what's your, what's your philosophy around offloading, keeping the ball around alive and, and you know, how, how, how did you kind of build that into that, into that team? Yeah. Well, the first one was um, in a short term program, I guarantee you most of the time is spent on your attack shape, getting it all together. Cause there's so many moving parts and combination and timings. Um, but what, what ends up happening, we had this in 2018 a little bit, was you spend so much time on it, you actually expect it to go really well. But when you mm. put it under the first at World Cup footy, the first thing to go is your timing and your clunkiness of your attack. And then mm. the boys get a lot of anxiety around performance then because the attack's not working, but that's where you spent most of your time on. So 
again, we flipped it. We put our defence up front because defence is moving parts, but it's based on attitude and, you know, defending for the bloke beside you, which was yeah. going to be important for us. And we knew we had the style of player that would really get off on that. So we went really hard at getting our defence sorted. Um, getting our set piece right, so scrum and line out was um, crucial for us, both sides of the ball. And then the only thing we put emphasis on with our attack was our exit play. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't put ourselves under any pressure, turning the ball over in our back 30. Um, so much all we're really sharp with our exits. But in terms of the actual general play shape, Shannon Fraser, who was our attack coach, I worked with Fraser at Waratahs. Now, he did a great job in terms of our patterning in our play, but we just took the shackles off our attack. So if mm. we didn't talk about it so much, it didn't mean it wasn't important or we didn't spend time on it, but... We knew if we put our defence up front, we got our set piece right and we exited pressure. The rest of it would just start to flow with our attack because we had good footy players. Yeah. And then in terms of keeping the ball alive, we changed up training a little bit where um, we brought in the rule or two. So rather than just a tag or a body in front where the ball carried hit the deck and straight away you get a ruck, which mm. is probably what most training's like, is the rule or two was if you got to the side of a defender at training, you could punch through, run two metres, you had two seconds to offload, but your offload had to be less than two metres, so you couldn't run through all tag yeah, and then awesome. throw a 10-metre cut pass. So yeah. what that then promoted was the ball carrier actually using footwork to get to an edge of a defender. Yeah. Burst through, but then we worked really hard on our primary support and our lateral support was flooding through that same channel because he knew that he had two seconds to get to him, but he had to be within two metres, so then you're flooding through mm. the wind behind the ball carrier. And then just little things like... Um, I think it was if if we're playing numbers 10 and below, so say if you're doing a 4v3 drill and warm-up mm -hmm. and you drop the ball, it's normally right, restart again. We'd actually play that out one phase. So yeah. if I was playing you and I dropped it and you picked it up, you had one phase then to attack against me. Awesome. And it was just play. Like if you made an error, it didn't matter, but it was about your reaction to the ball to pick it up and go. And then if it was 10 or above because you had bigger numbers for breakdown, then we play three phases. So... What then that meant for me and Fraser's coaches is if I'm doing a defence drill, um, but we defend it really well, but we're generating turnover in a 15-minute defence drill, it might end up that my boys are actually have five minutes of turnover attack. attack yeah. But then I'd get that I'd get that back when Fraser's running his attack drill because we might turn his ball over. So all of a sudden mm. he's getting five minutes of defence. But then we started playing this real transitioning style of training where it was just play bring the rule of two on top of it mm. and it just generated some really good footy so we knew we had good football players but again just taking the anxiety out of everything being neat and perfect in attack all the time yeah. but actually play you know really press hard on that turnover ball something that we we tried to push into the boys yeah i love that and um i think it's great for coaches to hear that too because you know that's where the bulk of tries are scored from turnover ball and kick return included there, and and then you know plays off line out. So you know that's that's some good good messages there for coaches for sure. And yeah, you had the you had three like maybe four genuine ball players as well in that group as well. Like it's really you know three fly halves that were just playing all over the park. It was uh, it was great footy to watch for sure. Yeah, and we just had a bit of detail around it too. We obviously had. You know, Willie Harrison was our five mm. eight. We had Noah Lolesio at yep. twelve, and we put Isaac Lucas back to fullback. Isaac, and, yeah. You know, like within our shape, Isaac was our controller on the short side. So as soon as we'd open up the short mm. side, we'd use his ball 
playing back down the short sides and we created a fair few tries from it. So yeah. it's just getting the right bikes in the right place of the field, but actually playing footy as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, jumping on to Aussie A team, what is it? I think it's awesome that that program is uh, is is happening again and, and like, it's happening big time uh, this time around. What was that that trip to Japan like? Uh, two wins, one really close loss. A uh, bunch of guys getting um, international time and, you know, so a couple of them pushed into the Wallabies uh, for the, the recent, uh, the, the most recent tour over into Europe. Uh, how, how was that experience like? Yeah, excellent. Um uh, I think I was saying to you off air before, like for a lot of these young boys with COVID, um, they actually haven't toured for three years. Like we've jumped across to New Zealand a little bit with Super Rugby, but international travel's pretty much been parked. So for a lot of the boys, it was their first proper rugby tour. So, um, you know, on field it was great, but off field the boys had an absolute ball, which was good. and. Okay. I think we're lucky in Japan because we'd been together in Fiji with the Pacific Nations Cup because mm. um, you've got such short turnaround time. Like you literally only got one training session at speed leading into the first game on those tours. Um, Japan was a little bit different because we had a lot of the Wallaby boys come back. Um, Dave Rennie released, you know, Caden Neville and Frosty who played the Bledders low mm. the week leading into that first game. So it was a bit of a mixed squad, which was really nice. We had a fair few experienced guys coming in. Um, but same thing, I reckon, with that group, because we had the Wallabies, we had the guys coming in from Fiji that have been with us, a couple of new guys, a couple of young kids coming in. And it's more just about how you connect them and make them um, feel good and understand their details so they can actually play good footy. Because Japan put out a cracking side. Like, yeah, no doubt. The only bloke that didn't play the All Blacks game on the weekend was the 5-8. So they, they were there to play. Like they, were, mm. they rolled that team out three times in a row. So it was good hard footy, but geez, you wouldn't get a better place. Dry decks, big crowds, fast yeah. footy. Um, the, the boys had a ball with it. Yeah. And um, any any stress around North Korea during that time? Was it, Did you have to manage that as a coach in any way? Or was that like kept, uh, they were pretty uh, chilled about it? Yeah, like I think one day we heard that there was a missile go off or something like that. But um, yeah, we're, we're pretty crazy. I think we had a bit of an earthquake in Tokyo that swung the hotel around a little bit. But yeah. um, no, nah, no, nah, we, we were all boys are all chilled. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, all right, well, Waratahs. You're probably a week away away from preseason. What's uh, what's that like? You're you're heading up the defence there. How how are you going to go about like? building a defense um with with a team throughout preseason and like early season how do you work uh the balance between kind of individual tackle technique and and overall shape uh of of your team how 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 are you how do you roll that out over you know a six to eight week uh process yeah we'll we'll do um we changed how we trained a little bit last year which we got good results in um rather than just block or contact in or one or two days. We just mm. went a little bit often. So every day we'll do an element of contact. Right. Um, so whether that's just light contact tech in the on the wrestle mats in the gym indoors to then bone on bone out on field. Um, but we, we'd always do some form of wrestle or contact um, every day. Right. Um, and it's something that we needed. Like before you even get in a shaping system, if you're losing your contact point, it doesn't matter how good your system is. Yeah. You're going to be up against fastball and you're not going to get time to get your line all sorted and mm. 
you know, get the ball back. So contacts are really, you know, that that's the key for us. If we can get our contacts sorted, then the shape will look after itself. Mm. Um, and then how we break it down is I just then go by the big rocks. Like what are the things that you do the most in defence? And that's where we allocate the most time to. So contact is one. Multi-phase shape uh, is obviously really crucial. You spend most of your time in multi-phase. Um, turnover balls over 50% of the game now. So yeah. our kick chase... Um, and our turnover defence is crucial. So we'll do that um, at least three times a week. And then in terms of your set-piece work, like your line-out and scrum, they're the things that we do last because it's probably the easiest because you're coming from yeah. a set position and you've got to spend time on your folding roles and who's going where and how do you defend return patterns and all that type of thing. But if we can get our contact, our multi-phase, our transition defence sorted, then the structure will, will come a little bit later. Mm. Um, and the other tricky one with us is um, with the spring tour, the Wallaby boys aren't back with us until after Christmas. So we'll yeah. do a six-week block for Christmas. But, you know, we've got Parisi, um, Harry Johnson Holmes, uh, Lachlan Swinton. Like we've got yeah. some big guns that are in the rehab room that won't train with us until post-Christmas as well. So it's always a tricky one because you get your pre-Christmas group up to a certain level, but... Ultimately, you've probably got 80% of your team that's going to start round one, come back post-Christmas where you've got to start it all again. So that's where we're going to keep some pretty similar philosophies to last year. So when they come back in, they know what we're doing. But we've identified two or three areas that we've got to make sure that we're best in comp on um, so we can have a crack at winning it. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, when you're talking about shape and and kick counter and or, or kick chase, those kind of things, how, how are you coaching that? Are you doing mostly, you know, games, small-sided games in, in that regards, or are you doing, like, breaking it up into some drills and then, you know, a whole part, whole kind of games, drill games kind of set up? Yeah, early on we'll block it. So, like, we'll even do stuff like how we how we attack that breakdown that they're going to be exit kicking off, for instance, how we kick pressure. Um, so you can do all of those in just micro groups. You can do them in pairs. You can do them in smaller groups, but then mm-hmm. you start to put it together. So it might be how you kick chase off a box kick versus a long kick into a corner because they're mm-hmm. two completely different kick chase philosophies. Um, but you can really break it down into small groups. So um, we've got a six-week pre-season. We won't do full 15 on 15 until the back end of week three. So the first three weeks is just all smaller group work. Then we'll put that into 15 on 15. Um, so it'll kind of be block train from smaller groups into 15 on 15. And then once they get the hang of the principles, then we'll randomise training. So that's where we can go from box kick, short grubber, cross field kick, might be a long kick into a corner, and then you start building that year conditioning games. Yeah. Um, and there's probably two types of, you know, for instance, kick chases. One off a structured exit where you might be on your try line, you've got a five-man line out where you can set up your kick chase line versus your 40 metres out and your 5'8 just decides he's going to kick it and you're going from an unstructured position to then building your kick chase line. So there's two different styles of kick chase that um, probably require a little bit more detail on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then last question on that. Um, What about what about any, like, new law variations or focuses from the referees that you feel um, for defence that you, you're going to have to be aware of and, and, you know, that you can potentially get some some tactical advantage out of? Yeah, they're also looking at how they can speed the game up. Mm. Um, you know, how they do that, I'm not too sure. They're, they're talking about speeding up to five-second rucks. Um, 
And, and the big one with that is these days with the box kick, like you see teams now, they probably take 10 seconds and they drop three guys back in a caterpillar and you can't actually yeah. get to it. So they're trying to try and get away from that. So in terms of disrupting um, box kick breakdown and getting kick pressure on, hopefully you get a bit more opportunity um, to get stuck into the kicking game of opposition teams. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one is just the cards. Like that, it's rare. I said in the media after the Reds game this year, it's rare to get through a game now with fifteen men on the field. Yeah. So, how you equip yourself at training, like with fourteen men, thirteen men, if you're losing the halfback, defending where? Like, I think that's probably the thing at the moment with your scenarios with cards. I know from a defensive point of view, that's probably the thing that that doesn't worry me but if we don't spend time at training defending with 14 or 13 you know you might lose a a loose set at a scrum because it's um repeated collapse and then all of a sudden you got your back rower off like how are you defending that mm. then from a scrum because you're losing one block off your fold and just, just all of those little things yeah um, in and around the cards is a big one yeah. um and that yeah, was also a big thing in uh, the U twenties in twenty nineteen, right? The 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 cards were were huge in that tour. Yeah, and we got really lucky. Like we when we got to Narrabeen, which is our pre World Cup camp, so we mm. finished Oceania, won that. Um, there was a couple of little cards floating around, but we got we got the official thing through that they're going to go really high on head high contact, and mm. we actually just spent two days doing scenario games. We split them into two teams, and yeah. then we really hard at repeating them across the two days but right you've been carded here penalty this is the score this is the situation and it really helped us because we lost um england we lost paddy tower for after a minute That's right, yeah. um, got to the semi-final against argentina our halfback Michael mcdonald got 10 minutes um unluckily a guy jumped into the tackle and he got done for lifting and then he saved to try on half time, but his trail arm made contact with the guy's head and he got a second yellow. So he actually got red carded at half time. Mm. So we played we played 40 minutes in the second half, obviously, down to 14 men. And Argentina didn't score a point against us in the second half. That's we awesome, closed it down yeah. well. Mate, I don't reckon if we had done those scenarios for a couple of days, and mm. I reckon it would have freaked the boys out a bit. Um, mm. And the other one's just the the high collision, like they're just going so hard with protecting the head, mm. um, how you get your heights on entry into the tackle um, in your clean-out is something that we're pretty pedantic on here, is just mm. making sure that we're not going anywhere near the head, particularly as the first point of contact. Um, so around that contact work, what you're doing there is pretty crucial these days. <coughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Okay, it's good to hear and can't, can't wait to... It's a bit of, bit of time before the season kicks off, but uh, it's always exciting when uh, a new super season kicks off. So uh, pretty pretty keen to see how the, the Tars go. Um, all right. Well, we, we always end the show with the same final four questions. Uh, I'm predicting potentially a rugby league uh, player for this first one. When you were a kid growing up, uh, who was your favourite player to watch playing footy? Yeah, definitely be a leaguey because I wouldn't have known any rugby guys. Um <laughs> Boys always give me grief, but favourite player was Terry Lamb. Oh, yes. Henry me too. <laughs> yeah, love yeah. Bar. So he was out and out my favourite. Oh, he was an animal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And probably my second one was Wayne Pierce. I, I just oh, loved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just how yeah, tenacious. And as a defender, he was just a beast. He wasn't yeah. the biggest bloke, but yeah. he just topped the tackle counts every week. He, he was unreal. 
Uh, that late 80s kind of era was just some amazing rugby league players from, you know, Canterbury, Belmain, Parramatta, like yeah. just, just, and Manly as well. Like just, yeah, awesome. Love it. Big fan of Terry Lamb. Uh, what about yeah. now? Who who are some of the players you like to watch now? Um, that's a good question. Probably, I, I, I love guys that compete hard. So, mm. um, you know, I've got I've probably got some close with him here at the Waratahs, but a guy like Lockie Swinton, mm. um, you just know what you're going to get with him when he goes out in the yeah. field. He's just gives his all and everything. Um, he's physical. Uh, he's competitive. He probably pushes the edge a little bit, but um, he's just one of those blokes that the opposition just look out for in the defensive line. I, I really like those guys that have a presence about him on the footy field. Yeah, yeah, awesome. He's he's uh, he's great to watch too. I like his style. Awesome. And uh, question three: what what about a high profile coach that you that you respect how they they run their program and and what they're doing? Um. I don't know him well at all. I've done a couple of Zooms with him um, and just from afar, but a guy like Wayne Smith, mm. um, super impressive guy. Um, yeah. You know, everyone talks about him highly. Um, you know, I worked with Thorny a little bit at the Reds there before I came down and he obviously did a lot of work with Wayne Smith and, you know, you just hear the stories about how he was and, Rob Penny, who was Waratah's coach a couple of years ago, Penn's um, knew Wayne really well from Canterbury. So he actually, he got all the coaches onto a Zoom with Wayne and you could have talked to him for four hours and it would have felt like four minutes. Just, just his knowledge and his willingness to share. And, um, yeah, he, he's the guy that yeah, really impresses me. No, he was – I had him on the on the pod for episode 100, actually, and uh... – I sent him the questions in advance and he said, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time for this, mate. And then at the end of it, it was, I had to leave because I had another appointment. He just, <laughs> he just loves talking rugby and it was, it was amazing. It was, it was such a great chat and he's such a humble guy and so knowledgeable and so willing to share. So yeah, yeah. echo the sentiments there for sure. All right. And final yeah. question. Uh, what about someone in the grassroots, uh, coaching the grassroots who, doesn't have the profile of Wayne Smith, but uh, deserves a shout out nonetheless. Um, yeah, he's, he's a guy I coached with at the Reds. He's back in club footy now, but a guy called Shane Arnold. Um, so he did super at the Reds, but Shane owns his own business and he had a chance to go back into super last year, but just for his business, he couldn't couldn't um, jump back in. So he's just been grafting at first grade at Jeeps up in Brisbane there. But um He's one of the best attack coaches um, I've worked with, and you speak to anyone um, who's coached by him, and um, you know he's just one of those guys that builds a really good affinity with his players and his staff. And there's no no way to go about him. He's happy coaching first grade there at Jeeps and, and doing a really good job. But um, I, I think he's a guy that you know he's definitely got the potential to go places. It's just probably been unfortunate with his work situation hasn't has enabled to be able to do it. Awesome. Oh, that's a good good way to finish the show. And uh, I like hearing stories like that. People who are just chipping away in the grassroots and keeping the keeping the game going, because uh, it's it's essentially a volunteer game and uh, we've yeah. all been there and done it and uh, it's it's valuable work. All right, Jason. Well it's been awesome chatting to you. Um about especially like I love that, like I said in the interview, I love that U twenty team. Uh, it really brought me a lot of joy to watch that style of rugby and uh, can't wait to see how the Waratahs are going and stoked that the Aussie A teams are 
a, a fully fledged program now, and hopefully it's going to keep keep chipping away because it's uh, uh, it's essential for that development pathway. And um, yeah, it's been it's been great chatting with you. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Uh, all good. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.